0: Good morning, everyone. How are you guys this morning? My name is Steve King, and I'm the worship arts pastor and uh Ray texted me this morning and uh said that he had a leaking uh hot water tank in his basement and so I sent him some lyrics to a famous blues song um, that you guys will get to hear in a moment and'll uh, we'll share my my encouraging words to him this morning but uh we're in a teaching series uh, that, that looks at the ideas of establishing certain kind of spiritual habits, things that can help shape our lives and deepen our relationship and our walk with God. And so we've defined these spiritual habits as activities that we choose to engage in that repeatedly bring us back to God and to facilitate spiritual health and growth. And so this morning, we're going to take the look at this, of this habit that we call celebration, now, if you were here with us last Sunday, you might remember that Barrett McRae talked about the spiritual habit of confession, and it was uh, very convicting to me, and um, I, I told him, I said, I didn't have enough time to confess everything that I needed to, so I thought I would confess something to you guys this morning, and um, I've wrestled with whether uh, I should say it out loud in public like this, and uh, but I'm convicted that I, I really need to, and so um so here goes. Um, the first thing uh, that ran through my head when I was asked to talk about the habit of celebration was this. Mm-hmm. Celebrate good times. Come, on. Celebrate. Come on, you knew it was coming, didn't you? Okay, so I grew up playing bass guitar in a disco band, all right? I love disco, and I like Cool in the Gang, but I hate that song. All right, every wedding I've ever played at, I've played that stupid song. So, so if you want me to play for your wedding, don't ask me to play that song, all right? So anyway, I get the assignment to teach on the habit of celebration a few months ago, and I'm thinking, oh, this is a no-brainer, right? How hard can it be to talk about celebrating, right? We can talk about weddings, sporting events, school events, birthday parties, Mother's Day, Christmas, Easter, right? It's really easy to talk and to teach about that. But what I didn't know back uh, then was how the month of May was going to play out, uh, for my family and I. And it's really turned out, uh, these last four weeks have turned out to be the hardest, uh, darkest month that, that my family and I have uh, have ever gone through together. Um, I don't know if I've ever told the story about um, kind of my childhood and my schooling especially. I was not a stellar student. In fact, that's an overstatement to say that I wasn't. And um, you know, I, I have a lot of issues. I'm not gonna talk about all of them today, but a number of them stacked against me in school. Um, but middle school for me was actually the worst of my times. It's when I refer to it as the time in my life where the wheels fell off the bus. And um, so my daughter, who, uh, daughter Sarah, who is uh, going to turn 14 on Tuesday, uh, when she was going into middle school, you know, I, I shared some of that with her and uh, of what I had, had gone through. And uh, we prayed a lot for her and we talked a lot about it. And um, after the end of seventh grade, I mean, she really had a great sixth and seventh grade. So I thought, oh, man, this is great. We've made it through middle school. And, uh, well, that came crashing down about midway through eighth grade. And uh, my daughter, Sarah, is uh, one of the sweetest, uh, most compassionate people. She can find the person in the room uh, that is feeling left out, and she can find them and, uh, and, and kind of console them. And, and I love that about her, but it also, it's, she's very sensitive. And uh, in the middle of the year, some girl bullying stuff just really... Um, really knocked uh, the wheels off the bus too. And so we've been wrestling with the implications of that on her emotionally, but also academically, it's really affected her the rest of the school year. And um, so we've been wrestling through some of that. And then about uh, a month or so ago, my son Miles is 11, he's a fifth grader, and uh, he opted to, uh, to play travel baseball this year and uh, so uh, he was really excited about it, making the team and then, and then playing. And about a month ago, we were at a tournament in Lombard and it was a day that we were gonna play two games in a day. And um, I noticed that he wasn't quite himself. And um, he was always a pretty aggressive uh, baseball player, a very aggressive base runner. And he just seemed kind of lethargic. And so on Sunday, um, I, I couldn't make the game. So one of the guys who I coached with for years, who knows Miles really well, he called me and he said, he said, you know, there's something not right with Miles. And I was like, yeah, I've known that for years, you know. And uh, he said, no, I'm serious. He said, he said you got to come get him. There's something wrong. And so Sherry and I uh, headed over there and took him to um, Good Sam Hospital. Where, uh, and then he said, we need to get him to a pediatric ICU. So we get in there, and it turns out um, that he was diagnosed as a type 1 diabetic. And so, um, you know, that hit me like a ton of bricks at first. Because first of all, I, I've never been around. I don't know anything about it. And so I really, I didn't even have a framework to put that inside of. Um, And so he had a glucose, your normal glucose level was supposed to be 100. His was 1,200 when we got to the hospital. In fact, he was playing baseball at 1,200 sugar level. So uh, the doctors were marveling at that. But so we've we've had a, a pretty rough last month just learning to adjust. And actually, he's done remarkably well. He's really owned it. He's adapted. it. He's checking his levels, giving himself the shots. I pass out when I see needles, so I'm not really helpful a lot. Um, but, uh, but he has really done great. But it's a new level of complexity for us to have to manage. And um, then on top of it, just in the last couple of weeks, we have a dog, Maisie, who uh, she had a bum leg from puppyhood uh, long before we actually rescued her. She stopped putting weight on her right rear leg. And so now we're looking at surgery for our dog, too. And so instead of feeling like this, good times. Come on. I felt like this instead. Come on, keep on running out. So in my typical encouraging ways, those are the lyrics I sent to Ray this morning to encourage him with his hot water tank. I'm all about encouragement. But over these past few weeks, as I, uh, every time I sat down to start trying to write about celebration, I mean, the last thing I wanted to do was celebrate. And every day I sat down to write and I thought, you know, I'll feel more like writing tomorrow. I mean, it's easier to do something when we feel like it, right? But that day that I felt like it just never came, and it kept on getting farther and farther away from me. You know, when times are good, right, it's easy to celebrate, right, when the Bears win the Super Bowl, right? Regardless of Mike Ditka's white shoes, we celebrate it. When the Cubs win the World Series, oh, wait, that didn't happen. Nothing to celebrate there. But what I really discovered through both study and personal experience was that I've had this celebration deal completely backwards, I've had it wrong. I've been putting the cart before the horse and I'm gonna talk about that in a minute but before we start there, I wanna take a look at the ideas of what the scriptures say about celebration. Now in ancient, ancient Israel, the idea of celebration, it was assumed, right, it was gonna happen. There was lots of moments um, uh, that they celebrated, festivals, feasts, all kinds of things and in fact, a number of these festivals were instituted by God himself and the purpose of them wasn't simply just to party and to have a great time although that was that was something that was supposed to happen the purpose was so that Israel would remember and recognize and celebrate God who is the source of all the good gifts these festivals it remembered his goodness it allowed his people to express his praise his praise and they were intended to be huge celebrations Right, the Passover festival that celebrated God rescuing the Israelites from slavery and bringing them out of Egypt. The festival of weeks or harvest or first fruits. 50 days after the Passover festival, they celebrated the harvest. The Feast of Tabernacles, it was another time that in Leviticus 23, God instructs the Israelites to live in temporary shelters, to remember how the Israelites lived after being rescued from Egypt. And it was marked by celebration, by eating, by drinking, by offering gifts and sacrifices. When the Old Testament prophet Nehemiah, he returned to Jerusalem to lead the rebuilding of the city's walls, it was a, it was a ghost town there, right? Everybody had been exiled out of it and there was a huge sense of sadness in Jerusalem. And so as they set about uh, the task of rebuilding it, they faced incredible opposition but they persevered and they finished the wall. And afterwards, Ezra stood and read the scriptures, and it's here that we see that the people were weeping as they listened to the scriptures being read. They were weeping because of their own failures, the failures of their ancestors, and they realized their own condition against the goodness, the faithfulness, and the holiness of God. But check this out, Nehemiah says this to his grieving congregation, he says, "Hey." This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy is strength. But its absence will create weakness. Now people who want to pursue this idea of joy, especially need to practice the the, the habit of celebration. And it's a big reason we see so much of that emphasized in the Old Testament, right, on these feasts and festivals. Times of feasting were meant to be transforming experiences just as, as times of meditation and fasting were. I mean, celebration, it generally involves activities that bring pleasure, right? Gathering with people we love, eating, drinking, singing, dancing. Spiritual celebration means that we do them while reflecting on a good God who has given us these great gifts. And these words of Nehemiah, they express the spirit of celebration. Our word holiday comes from the practice of holy days. And we often think of these spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits as abstaining from pleasurable things. But Nehemiah says, no, set aside the time to revel in these as a discipline, as a habit for personal transformation eating choice food, it can be every bit as much of a spiritual habit as fasting can be. We expect this prophet right, to, what is he gonna tell us? To eat locusts and Brussels sprouts or something, right? But here we see Nehemiah handing out the equivalent of, of like uh, Twinkies and, and Fritos, which I'm all about, washed down with a Diet Coke. That would be the sweet drink he's talking about. But I digress. As we turn to the New Testament, we read about Jesus, he is initiating his public ministry, and where does he do it? His first recorded miracle was at a wedding celebration. And I think we, we would all agree, right, that weddings in our culture, they're big moments of celebration, and we look at them as a big event, right? But in the ancient Near East, the Jewish weddings were way bigger, they lasted way longer. They, these events brought everybody together with lots of celebration and partying and dancing. And throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus observing Jewish, uh, these traditional festivals and feasts and times of celebration. And as he was preparing his disciples for a day that he would no longer be with them physically, what did he say? Did he tell them a sad story to make them cry, to bum them out? No, he pointed them towards the truth. He pointed them towards hope. He said, Don't be troubled. He said, you will receive the Holy Spirit, and you will do great things for the kingdom of God. In John 15, he says this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now it's important to remember that this joy that Jesus is talking about, it's not simple human happiness. Because if that's what we're looking and waiting for, we're gonna be disappointed. Jesus says that my joy will be in you. And it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of Jesus dwelling within us. And it makes this joy, it makes it supernatural, it makes it substantial, and it makes it long-lasting. It's not the kind of short-acting happiness that we so often experience. And here, Jesus' joy, it's come where? From his reliance on God and his obedience to his Father's will. You know, I often wonder how Jesus felt as he went about his ministry. I mean, do you always think he felt like ministering to people? Did he always feel like celebrating? Like always being that guy who always had to be on? I mean, I can only speculate, but since he was also fully human, it seems logical that he didn't always feel like doing ministry, But he was so driven by the mission given to him by his father that he ministered to people regardless of how he felt. So often I think I'll celebrate when things are good or when I feel better, I'll celebrate. Problem is I rarely feel like it. Instead, the spiritual spiritual habit of celebration actually should go like this. Celebration leads to joy and joy makes us more like Christ. Celebration leads to joy, and joy makes us more like Christ. So we ask, well, how do we begin to use this habit of celebration to pursue the idea of joy? The first thing is to begin now. The psalmist says it. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. He doesn't say, yesterday was God's day. I was really happy then. Or he doesn't say, tomorrow will be the best day ever. Then I will be happy and celebrate. No, he says this day, today is the day. And so today, with all of its shortcomings, is the day of celebration. Right, we all live with this weird illusion that joy will come someday when conditions change. Right, we go to school and we think we'll be happier when we graduate. We're single and we're convinced that we'll be happy when we get married. We get married and we decide we'll be happy someday when we have children. We have children and we'll decide we'll be happier when they grow up and move out. And then they do, and we think we were happier when they were still at home. We are messed up, man. This is God's day. This is God's day, is what the psalmist says. It's the day God made, and it's the day that Christ's death has redeemed. If we're gonna know joy, it has to be today. But it raises a question, how can I embrace joy when, when I'm filled with, with, with pain and suffering? Is it right to be joyful in a world of hunger and violence and injustice? And here's the funny thing, it's exactly here that we make one of the most surprising discoveries. <clears throat> Often it's the people closest to suffering who have the most powerful joy. Friends of Mother Teresa, they they describe her instead of being overwhelmed by the suffering all of around her, she glowed with joy as she went about her ministry of mercy. One of the English officers imprisoned during World War II at Flossenburg with German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said of him, he said this, Bonhoeffer always seemed to me to spread an atmosphere of happiness and joy over the least incident and profound gratitude for the mere fact that he was alive. Often it's the people closest to suffering who have the most powerful joy. And true joy comes to those who have devoted their lives their lives to something greater than personal happiness. And it's most visible in the lives of those martyrs and saints. But friends, it's no different for you and I. The same thing can be true of ordinary people like us. Jesus told his disciples, he said, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When we focus on others instead of ourselves, we can lift our heads above the fray, right? We can see the forest instead of the trees. And most importantly, we can model the life that Christ lived as he loved and he served other people. In writing his book uh, titled The Life You've Always Wanted, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People. Author and pastor John Ortberg, he made me chuckle in his take on what the creation narrative in the opening sentences of the Bible would have sounded like if God had approached creating the world as if he really had no joy or enjoyment of anything. And so I wanna read you an excerpt from his book. Imagine Genesis if God approached his work as we so often do. In the beginning, it was nine o'clock. So, God had to go to work. He filled out a requisition to separate light from darkness. And he considered making stars to beautify the night and planets to fill the skies. But he thought it sounded like too much work. And besides, God said, That's not my job. So, he decided to knock off early and call it a day. And he looked at what he had done and he said, It'll have to do. And on the second day, God separated the waters from the dry land, and he made all the dry land flat, plain, and functional so that, behold, the whole earth looked like central Illinois. <laughs> he thought about making mountains and valleys and glaciers and jungles and forests, but he decided it wouldn't be worth the effort. And God looked at what he had done that day, and he said, i will have to do. And God made a pigeon to fly in the air and a carp to swim in the waters and a cat to creep upon dry ground. And God thought about making millions of other species of all sizes and shapes and colors, but he couldn't drum up any enthusiasm for the other animals. In fact, he really wasn't too crazy about the cat. (laughs) Besides, it was almost time for the late show. So God looked at all he had done, and God said, it'll have to do. And at the end of the week, God was seriously burned out. So he breathed a big sigh of relief, and he said, thank me, It's Friday. (laughs) I mean, thank God that isn't how God went about the work of, of creating the world, right? We read, he celebrated each day. In the creation account in the scriptures, we see this recurring theme, right? After creating the heavens and the earth in the morning and the evening, God says what? It'll have to do? No, God saw that it was good and he celebrated it. And God created the sun and the moon and the stars and he said that it was good. And he created all kinds of living things and he said that it was good. Friends, we read from the earliest points of scripture that God is a God who enjoys his creation. He sees that it is good. How often do we see that it's good? If I'm honest, not nearly often enough. Instead of focusing on goodness, I I focus on the things that I don't have. Things that are bothering me, things that are worrying me, or things that are just annoying to me. And so what what do we learn today out of this? Well, the spiritual habit of celebration shouldn't be based on how we feel. It should be based on the truth of who God is. And And that's not necessarily easy or intuitive, right? And that's why we call it a habit or a discipline. It's something that we need to work intentionally on developing. And it's really obvious, right? These big types of celebrations we talked about. Uh, Us getting together every Sunday morning to celebrate God's goodness and his grace in our lives, to tell stories and hear about how he's working in our lives. We have Christmas, Easter, family celebrations, weddings, birthdays, anniversaries. Those are all really big, obvious moments of celebration, right? But they also don't happen all the time. I think what we need to do is we need to find things that we can celebrate much more frequently. Things that are smaller, things that are maybe seem much more mundane or ordinary every day. And so you might say, well, what do you mean by celebrating small things? The here and now things. And so as I tried to put into practice what I had to talk about this morning, it was really hard. I had to be so intentional about trying to figure out how to celebrate the small things. But let me give you a few examples of what happened to me over the last few weeks. You know, springtime is often a time of renewal, right? We look forward to the new things growing and the babies being born and all that stuff. And um, one morning, one of our kids said, hey, there's a nest on, on our garage. We have a detached garage, and we can see it from our, um, from our kitchen. They said, there's a nest there, and uh, Mama Robin was working on it. And uh, a week or so later, uh, little baby birds were hatched. And my kids were fascinated. We got out the, the, um, the binoculars and we were, you know, they were spending time, a lot of time watching it when they should have been getting ready to go to school, but, but they were watching it. But one day I decided to stop and I slowed down and I said, well, let me take a look at this. So we actually all walked outside, stayed a few feet away so we wouldn't bug them. And it was incredible. How cool is it? The baby birds all had their mouths open and the mama was feeding them, stepping on their heads, I was like, so I guess I was justified when I stepped on my kids. But how cool of seeing something like that through the wonder and the marvel of a child. There's kids all over our neighborhood now coming to watch the baby birds. And, uh, and it's been really cool. And then yesterday they flew the coop. And uh, so now uh, we're a little bummed because we're missing out on it. A few weeks ago, um, my daughter Sarah loves to draw, and so uh, she had her sketch pad out. She was in the living room, and normally I would just walk past and just you know grunt at her or say something or, and, uh, or not even pay attention to her, but I stopped and I watched her draw, and I saw how carefully she was looking at something that she was modeling, and she was drawing it and sketching the outline to it, started shading in some things in the middle, and it reminded me of a creative God who has given us these creative outlets that when we have stuff that's going on inside, we can't help but just let it out, And it was so cool to see that burst out in art with her. Or uh, last week, I was walking past the back window and I I glanced out and I saw movement out there and our dog, Maisie, was out there with uh, my 11-year-old son, Miles. And uh, they're both high-energy animals. And and so I, I watched them and they were playing and Maisie has this nasty, old, chewed up, mostly destroyed, what used to be a stuffed squirrel uh, but the stuffing has long been gone, so it's really just a flat, nasty piece of fabric that we have uh, named, we named it Roadkill. <laughs> and so, and Maisie loves playing with Roadkill, and so, so Miles would take it, and he'd snatch it out of her mouth, and then he'd run, and she'd chase him, and he'd toss it, and she'd get it, and then he'd try to go get it from her, and she would duck and run, and she's fast. And, uh, and instead of just kind of looking and saying, oh, that's cute, I spent a couple minutes watching it. And I loved seeing the energy of youth. And it was hilarious. It was like a gift from God, of that moment, and, uh, and the gift that a, the dog has been to our family, too. Last Sunday, I went home, and my wife, Sherry, was planting flowers. And, um, and so, you know, I, I talked to her for a minute, but I got inside the house, and I just stopped, and I turned, and I just watched her as she planted flowers. Now, some of you may think that's really creepy, you watching, but <laughs> she is my wife, okay. Um, But it was so cool to see how thoughtful she was about it. She pulled out these weeds and pulled out different things and put some dirt in, laid it on, and dug out and then gently placed these flowers in and gently patted them and watered them and cared for them. And it was just a really cool experience to watch her with so much care and nurturing of those. Last week I was driving somewhere early in the morning and I glanced out uh, my my left uh, left window and uh, I saw the sunrise and you know we've all seen the sunrise a bunch of times right but for some reason i stopped and i looked and i was like wow it's exceptionally beautiful this morning and so i actually pulled my car over i turned off the radio put down everything and um and i just watched the sun and there was this thin layer of clouds and this pink red sun was coming up over it and man that was like a gift from god it was beautiful it was stunning and um You know, but those things are so easy to just go and hurry by every day. And so that's what I'm talking about, stopping and celebrating the small stuff. And you know, I was really good about it for a couple days. And then I got busy. And I thought, oh, I need to write a sermon. And I got busier. And I have to admit that the pace and the complexity of life, it kind of picked up. And it's been hard for me to continue celebrating those small things. And I got to work at it but I guess that's why they call it a habit, right? Something we have to work at to develop, and it's something that I gotta intentionally focus on, set aside time for, and look for the opportunities to practice so I can develop kind of this reflex, this habit of celebration. So my challenge for each of us this week is this, set aside time to do things that you enjoy. Eat, listen, play music, dance, Play sports, spend time with a friend, read a book, exercise, do some gardening, visit the zoo, the aquarium, the museums, go to the arboretum. And as you do these things, give thanks to God, who is the giver of all good things. All right, let's not wait for the next big thing to celebrate. And let's not wait until we feel like celebrating. Man, I live too much of my life waiting for the next thing to celebrate. In the meantime, I miss out on so much that's in the here and the now. Take time and read through the Gospels. See how Jesus lived his life. There's plenty of examples and stories to inspire us on how he lived and loved and served. But we have to be reading his scriptures to do that. And we can use habits that we've talked about over these past weeks, right? The idea of simplicity, of decluttering our our life to get through the noise so that we can actually see some of these things to celebrate. We can use solitude to get away from all that noise in our heads to more clearly see and hear God speaking into our lives. We can use confession to reduce the weight of sin and guilt in our life so that we can experience joy. You see, celebration, it really builds on and incorporates other spiritual habits to allow us to see what's here to celebrate. And so regardless of what season of life you find yourself in, Let's remember that today is the day, not yesterday and not tomorrow. So how do we develop and practice this habit of celebration? Here's my Steve K summary. We follow Jesus' lead in loving and serving other people. We take time to celebrate not just the big things but the small things too, regardless of how we feel. And we begin now. Because friends, if we don't celebrate today, we won't celebrate at all. If we wait until conditions are just right, we'll still be waiting to celebrate when we die. And if we're gonna rejoice, it has to be in this day. This is the day the Lord's made. This is the day to celebrate. And we're gonna do that right now. So why don't you guys all stand with us as we sing together. Today is the day. Like, I get it. I, you, everybody comes in with different experiences, right? You may have walked in here this morning with your arms and you're like, saying, I am not gonna celebrate anything. Honestly, that's how I walked in this morning too. I felt the same way. But here's the deal, is this is the idea of it being a discipline, a habit that we need to develop. Our, our good times don't lead to celebration. Our celebration leads to joy. And joy makes us more like Christ. And I hope that you know him as your savior this morning. You know, this series has all been, been about developing these habits and these, uh, that can help us draw us closer to God. And I hope that you can practice the idea of celebration today. And I'll tell you what, if you find something small to celebrate, send me an email this week. I'd love to hear about it. All right? I got to go out there every day and I got to work hard to do it. I know you will too. But we, there's a lot of benefits to it if you can. So you know what, if, uh, if you're here with us this morning and you are struggling with some stuff, that you would like somebody to listen, to pray with you, we got some folks along here who'd be happy to pray with you after the service. Please take advantage of their ministry and, and they would love to, to be able to pray for you. All right, uh, let me pray for us as we, uh, as we go out this morning. Lord, the psalmist does say, uh, this is the day the Lord has made. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, but this day and this moment. It's the day that you've redeemed. I hope that we, as your church, as we go out to celebrate those good things, to celebrate the truth of who you are, God, I pray that that truth would transform us right now, today and tomorrow and each day this week. And for those of us who are struggling with some stuff this morning, Lord, bring us back to these habits that will help us to process them and to draw us closer to the truth and the reality of who you are, your goodness and your grace and your mercy in our lives. Help us to live today as a day of celebration. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Have a great day, guys. We'll see you next Sunday.